Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and it's time for another episode of The Mulberry Lane Show. Well, hey, we're so happy you're here to hang out with the sisters for another episode. We know there's a ton of places where you could be spending your time, and we're just happy you're here with us. So are you looking for a little more confidence and a little less doubt in your life? A little more creativity, a little less criticism. Amen. How about a little more you and a little less trying to be everyone else? Mm-hmm. Well, in the next hour, the artists you're going to hear from are going to sprinkle some positivity into your life to get you in a better headspace. Thousand percent. Let's get to it, sisters. Let's do it, Bo. The Mulberry Lane shows on Celebrity story songs You're gonna have it going on When we tell you who's stopping by now Well, up first, guys Kenny Wayne Shepherd. This blues rock guitarist and artist started as a child prodigy at age 16. Now he shares how this label early on in his career affects him today. And if you're someone who likes to surround yourself with talented people to push you forward, you're in good company. Kenny is just like that and he shares how it often brings him to the next level. And Kenny is headed to the Heartland this weekend at the Ralston Arena in Omaha. Don't pass this one up, you guys. You can always use a healthy dose of rock and blues in your life. Make it a night. Well, I guess you could call it a bluesy day here at the Mulberry Lane Show. Because next, you're going to catch up with Mato Nanji, a blues rock band indigenous. Woke up this morning. Everything is wrong. Well, if you've had to deal with changes in your path, you're going to love and maybe learn a thing or two from Mato on how he stays calm and in the flow with all of life's ups and downs. He also shares how his upbringing on the Yankton Sioux Reservation in South Dakota, where he still lives now, impacts his approach to music and showbiz. And Indigenous will be playing at the Playing With Fire 2019 concert at Midtown Crossing in Omaha this weekend, along with some other Midwest states, namely South Dakota, very soon. Okay, Rachel, who's next? Well, finally, if you need an end-of-summer thriller to read, New York Times best-selling author C.J. Box brings it. You're going to hear all about his new book, The Bitter Roots, and you know you don't hear this very often on the show, but it's an interesting point to ponder. Listen to this. He values craft over inspiration. So in other words, he feels inspiration is nothing without the craft. So it's the hard work to bring it to life after the inspiration. So interesting chat with CJ Box. Mm -hmm, Some skills to next level your game. All right, before we dive into the show, we have a question for you. Have you set up Hey Siri on your phone? Well, Allie has, and just this past week, I, Rachel, set up my Hey Siri, but we discovered something pretty unique that we thought was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So as you guys know, Hey Siri is set up with voice identification software, and they say the software is pretty foolproof. You know, your phone is only supposed to recognize your voice. So if you say, Hey Siri in a room, everyone's phones are not supposed to go off. But we found out that our voices as sisters are so similar to each other. We can unlock each other's phones. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And we can ask each other's phones, hey Siri, questions. And we're going to demonstrate this for you right now. So this is Allie on Rachel's phone. And watch what happens. Hey Siri, who am I? You're Rachel. 
That's what you told me anyway. That's right. Snarky mail, Siri. <laughs> so anyway, that's how Allie can get into my phone. So I have to protect my phone so she doesn't order a bunch of Amazon or Grubhub. Well, you can see how dangerous a situation this is. Yes. Well, you know, we've worked really hard on blending our voices when we sing together. But little did we know it had an added bonus. <laughs> We'd probably make really good spies. Yeah, we look alike. We sound alike. <laughs> you don't know who you're getting, guys. Well, we know who you're getting next on this episode. Mm, we're going to come right back with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, blues and rock extraordinaire. So give it right here with your radio sisters on the Mulberry Lane Show. We'll meet you right around the corner. This is Bo here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Hey, Siri, can you set an alarm for 3 a.m.? Okay, your three o'clock alarm is on. <laughs> this is too much fun. <laughs> This segment is brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology, Advanced Comprehensive Medical, Surgical, and Cosmetic Dermatologic Care. BraddockFinnegan.com Your creative fueling station, the Mulberry Lane Show. Glad you're here with us. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Well, with five Grammy nominations, two Billboard Music Awards, two Blues Music Awards, and seven number one blues albums, Kenny Wayne Shepherd is synonymous with the blues rock genre. Now he's bringing his brand of music to Ralston Arena this weekend, but right now you're going to get a behind the curtain look at the life of Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Welcome, welcome to the show, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Hi, ladies. How are you? How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Great to have you with us. Okay, first you have to tell us what we can expect from the concert this weekend. Well, uh, we have a new record that came out like May 31st, so we're obviously featuring songs from the new record, and the response has been really, really positive. Awesome. It's really been overwhelmingly positive, both from the fans and the press. And that's The Traveler, right? Yeah, that's The Traveler. Throughout the show, we do about half that record, but, you know, we have a, a pretty large catalog, and there's a lot of people that come to the shows that have been growing. So we try and cram as many songs as we can from previous albums that are either what we believe to be showstoppers or songs that we think people are really coming to hear. So okay. hopefully everybody leaves satisfied. Yes, and you probably know exactly what those songs are and how to give it to them. Yeah, I mean, we go over well with the crowds and, and you know, which ones have kind of become staples in the set. And then obviously, you know, through radio success and things like that over the years, there's some songs that just have to be played. Yeah. So you were talking about The Traveler, that's your latest album. So talk a little bit about how that album came together. And you're really big on who you surround yourself with and who you play with. So get into that, who you choose to work with. Well, yeah, I mean, I try and and surround myself with the best musicians possible because it makes me better, you know, makes me a better musician. And obviously it makes for better music. So for this record, basically, you know, I used almost the same exact band that I tour with. It, essentially, it was the exact same group of musicians from the previous album laid okay. on down. And so we've got, you know, Chris Layton on drums, and Chris played with Stevie Raymond and Double Trouble, you know, his entire career before playing with me. And then Noah Hunt, who's been singing lead vocals with me now for 22 years. Okay. And then I'm doing lead vocals and guitar. And then on bass, we have Kevin McCormick, who is my bass player in my other band. I have a side project called The Rides with right. Stephen Stills and Barry Goldberg, and then Kevin was out on the road with me for about a year and a half, so we brought him into the studio. And this guy, Jim McGorman, 
on keys, who does not tour with us, but we also had Joe Crown, who's a keyboard player on the road with us in the studio as well. So we had great musicians, and we recorded this. We had an opening in our schedule. We had a little bit of time off. You know, I just thought we should take advantage of the time. Okay, so now, are you all in the studio together? Do you come in separately? How does that look? Oh, no, always, always in the studio together. The kind of music That's do, awesome. Yeah, it's meant to be played together, and it's all about, you know, human interaction and, you know, feel. I don't know that that's done that, that much well, anymore. Well, you know, we interview a lot of artists, and you'd be surprised how many people say, well, some of it was together and some of it was, you know, across the country. Yeah, a lot of people email stuff. So, like, yeah. you know, one guy will play drums on it in L.A., at his house, and then he'll email it to a guy right. in New York to play. But don't you then, think you just can't repeat that feeling when everybody's playing together or in the studio together, that energy? You know, it, no, it can't be duplicated not, any other way. Not at all, and I can always hear it. I mean, personally, some people may not be able to really tell the difference, but I can always tell the difference when, you know, a, band, a recording was done with people playing together. And the other thing is, is whoever gets their hands on it first, if it's the producer that lays down the very first track, and the click track and all that stuff, they have now dictated the entire outcome of the song right. to everybody else who's going to play on true. it. That is true. Yes. Know? So it doesn't have that spontaneous kind of organic thing happening. No, you throw that right out the window. Yeah. If you're just joining Kenny Wayne Shepherd right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. You burst onto the scene when you were 16. You were, you know, a prodigy and really acclaimed. And obviously that was because I'm sure of the hours and hours of work you put into honing your craft. So first, let's go back to that and just talk about being alone with your guitar, you know, really learning your craft and what that time was like for you. Well, yeah, for me, it was like, I mean, it was tedious. I didn't just wake up and like, you know, overnight and know how to play guitar. It was certainly a process and it was many years of just sitting in my room, you know, at home or in the living room with the guitar and making more mistakes than I was making sense. And, <laughs> and then after a while, you know, uh, after you do it enough, things start to kind of make sense. It's almost like all of a sudden you can read a, a language or something. It's uh-huh. like I started looking at the instrument and pieces started coming together. And, you know, but I, it was tedious, but, like, I loved doing it. Like, I really enjoyed it. And I also enjoy, like, learning things in general and teaching myself things. It was a gratifying process. Uh-huh. It was a long process, but in the end, it really paid off. You know? Right. So then the other half of that equation was, you know, having that success early and really being acclaimed as an artist, you know, everybody grows up. So was there a point where you questioned things or a point where you had to transition to a, a different way of looking at yourself? Or how was that growing up after being kind of a child prodigy? Well, the thing is, is because so much emphasis was put on my age early on and how young I was, it wasn't even until just recently that people stopped associating me with the idea of being a child prodigy. Uh It's kind of cool because people consistently still think I'm a lot younger than I am. Uh But, you know, the, the other side of that coin is like having a career that's been going on this long, which I'm really grateful for, is that the eventuality is that you know, now, me and the other people that came up around, you know, the same time as me, we're realizing that the transition is taking place where we went from being the young guns and the young bloods and the newcomers to the, we're going to eventually be the old timers <laughs> of the genre.
You're not there yet, but you you probably have to prepare yourself for that. Well, I'm just trying to take care of myself, stay fit, and challenge myself musically and mentally and things like that. Stay on top of my game. As long as I'm able to bring it, you know, on stage and in the studio at the level which I'm accustomed to, then I'll keep doing it, you know. But if it ever gets to the point where I just can't do it anymore or they're just kind of propping me up there at the novelty, act and I don't know that I'm down to do You're that, not going to be there for that. But you have a lot yeah. of, I mean, there's a ton of older rock blues musicians that you can still look to and how they're doing as well. Well, right, like we're on tour with Buddy's guy right now and Buddy's 84. Right. Wow. And he's still bringing it and he's got a lot of energy, you know, so I hope if I'm anywhere near like as energetic as he is, if I live that long, then, you know, I think I'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Gonna leave it right there for just a sec. We'll be back with more good stuff from Kenny Wayne Shepherd right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Hey, if you want black, tears on a river, push on a shove, it don't mean much. Joker on Jack, match on a fire, cold on ice, a dead man's touch. Whisper on a scream, doesn't change a thing, don't bring you back. Well, Dr. Mary Finnegan of Braddock Finnegan Dermatology is here to tell you about Aqua Gold. So Aqua Gold is a small vial that has small stainless steel needles that are finer than a human hair in which we can leave product in the surface of the skin. The procedure takes about 15 minutes for the whole face. It gives a very dewy look, an airbrushed look. There's mild redness, otherwise no downtime at all. Aqua Gold at Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. That's Braddock Finnegan Travel down a new lane. You're hanging out here on the Mulberry Lane Show. It's Allie along with your radio sisters. Glad you're here with us. Rachel Bowen Allie right here with Kenny Wayne Shepherd, talking all about his journey as musician and artist. So let's jump back in now with part two with Kenny Wayne Shepherd right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So now are there things that you still learn about the guitar? today yeah absolutely i think that's universally in life as long as we're living and we remain open to learning there's always more to be learned whether it's in your instruments or anything really right and then i also want to speak to something that rachel just asked you you know we kind of talked about how people viewed you as the young guy and everything but talk about your perspective from the inside out did there come a point when you said to yourself, I'm grown up now, I can tell these people around me what to do and not be told that? Or were you always kind of telling people how you wanted things from the beginning? Well, I've always been a big driving force behind my career, both okay. creatively and in the business realm. Even as a teenager, my dad was adamant that in all the major business meetings, always had input on the business side of things. He's like, this is your career and you need to know what's going on in it. And so, as a result, as I've gotten older, you know, where before I was just kind of sitting there and I was, you know, having some input, but I was also learning and trying uh-huh. to, like, absorb how, how it all works. Now, it's, you know, really enabled me to uh, to really take the reins, so to speak. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm involved in all of it, but I remember my dad telling me that when he hit his 30s as an adult, that was when people started began to take him seriously and uh-huh. that 
and then life really began at 40 and like you know that was like when you're in your 40s that's like when things really come together just as a human being and also you know in the business world and, and that's been my experience too. and he was a, a concert promoter well he was a disc jockey and he was a program director several different radio stations in my hometown and he did concert promotion kind of on the side okay so I grew up around a radio station I grew up around going to every concert that came through town and going backstage and meeting the bands and you know kind of, so I had all this insight yeah and, you had uh, an inside look at things early yeah, on yeah nobody knew like I didn't realize now looking back I go wow this was all setting me up for my career right you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, and you know, your dad really gave you a gift from the beginning in having you be instrumental in all those meetings and being part of the decisions. Well, yeah, most artists, like a lot, well, I guess I can only speak for myself, but it, it seems that a lot of artists, they're just not interested in the business side of things. Right. And I totally get that because they're creative types, and so am I, but, but ultimately down the road going... Why were things done like this? Why did this happen? Who approved this? Right. And, you know, where's my money? And, and they don't have a clue as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not the best place to be in. No. <laughs> so now you also have your side project you mentioned earlier, the ride. So before we let you go, it seems like you have a lot of places where you put your creativity. And one of the purposes of the show is to make sure people stay in touch with their creativity. So speak a little bit about how, as a creative person, you keep that creative energy and are able to keep multiple things going? Well, for me, it's all about constantly challenging myself. And then also, it's like with anything else, it's like, you know, with a muscle and exercising it and continuing to use it, you know, songwriting and being creative is the same thing. It's like, if you step away from it for too long, it can take you, you know, a little while to get back into the flow of things. So Mm -hmm. I like to just constantly be on the creative plane. And, you know, that continues to keep me moving forward. And then by playing with other great musicians and writing songs with legendary songwriters and legendary artists and doing all these collaborations, it keeps me learning and it keeps me on my toes, you know, and it keeps keeps me being creative. And is there anything that you personally do to get yourself more in a creative mood? As long as I pick up the guitar and and start playing for more than five minutes at a time, the ideas start to kind of come. Okay. All right. Well, Kenny Wayne Shepard, we want to thank you for joining the show. It's been fun chatting with you and hearing about the real Kenny Wayne Shepard. And we're so stoked that you're coming to the Heartland at Ralston Arena. Yeah. All right. We'll see you there. It's Kenny Wayne Shepard here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Keep that creative muscle flexing and stay on that creative plane with Mato Naji of Indigenous. On the other side of the break, we'll meet you right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show. I ain't looking for a one-time girl. I need a little more to light up my world. I want a woman like, I want a woman like you. The same old, same old, change the station to a new kind of cool kind of car. I want a woman, yeah, I want a woman like you It's Allie here with
with the Mulberry Lane Show. And did you know you can be a part of our free email list every week where you'll get more sister fun, links to archived radio shows, tips on creativity for your life, and real connection. All you have to do is text the word Mulberry to the number 22828, and then you enter in your email. So join the free Mulberry Lane email newsletter, and we'll land in your inbox once a week. Text the word Mulberry to 22828. The Mulberry Lane Show, where every creative journey is respected. I'm Bo, here with my sisters, Rachel and Allie. Mateo Naji of the much-celebrated band Indigenous is coming to the Playing With Fire concert series this weekend in Omaha. Hear what Mateo has been up to with all of his projects and how he keeps moving forward creatively. Welcome, welcome to the show, Mateo Naji. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah it's good so to good you. to have you on the show. So now, the <laughs> band Indigenous originally started with you, your brother, your sister, and your cousin. And you guys achieved quite a bit of success in that initial <laughs> format. So, you know, we're a family band. So, yeah. you know, as, as you grow up together, you know, inevitably people have different desires and directions so you know what, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what <laughs> ultimately led to you guys splitting up uh, i think it was exactly that i mean we were real young when we started out together you know i was probably about 18 okay and you know those guys were like 16 and you know 15 years old so mm-hmm. it was real young and right. then all we wanted to do was play music you know so so that part in the beginning, it was really good, you know. I start touring after that and playing together, and then as you go along, then different influences come in, I guess, and people start having different ideas. And like my brother, the bass player, he wanted to kind of have his own band and stuff, so, so that was a part of it, wanted to make his own music. And, okay. you know, and my sister kind of, I think she just got tired of the road, you know. So yeah. We were always on the road, so... Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, my cousin, he might come jam with us this weekend, so oh, he kind of awesome. comes and plays off and on. Off so and he on. plays like percussion, so still kind of in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. So now, as yeah. a family, was that a difficult time going through that, figuring out what everybody wanted? Were you able to keep the family relationship yeah. going, or, you know, did you have to just completely, like, go separate ways well, and then I, came back later? Yeah, I think I think we went separate ways at first and then but we still you know talk to each other and keep in touch and stuff uh-huh. but it was uh i think just being on the road together and then plus we were so close as a family you know i mm-hmm. think it kind of you know got to everybody i guess right <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I was happy and you know i think it was very fortunate that we lasted as long as we did you yes. know because yeah we went for about maybe a little over 10 years i think which is pretty good so, and you know what, I was just going to add to that, you know, it is difficult when you share a career and you also share the family blood and the relationships, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's hard yeah. to separate it. And yeah. a lot of times one bleeds into the other. So you, I know you got to keep it separate. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So now at the yeah. point where you went on and you took the indigenous name and, you know, created a, a new formation of the band and everything was that a point for you where you thought gosh i can take this wherever i want musically was that a freeing place for you or was that like scary yeah it was it was you know probably a little of both because i was you know by myself but then at the same time i was able to kind of just take it and do what i wanted 
to do uh-huh. and you know make different kind of music and well, I was basically the main songwriter for the band anyway. since we started you know anyway mm-hmm. so it's kind of like I was still growing and still learning and well, still now you know uh-huh. <laughs> you know hearing different influences and stuff that inspired me to go in a little bit different direction uh, with each record now when you write and record do you keep in mind the live show and playing the songs live not too much I actually write everything at home on a, okay. my acoustic you know that's where everything kind of starts right there and then uh-huh. uh, when I get together with the guys in the studio and we kind of I guess feel what's good you know at the uh-huh. time so you just kind of <laughs> go with it in the moment yeah I go with it yeah. yeah I usually try to not really think about it too much until I get to that point because I really want it to be more uh, organically put together I okay. guess not where it's real like you know, it's down to the note, you know, last note. Right. Oh, it's going to be exactly like this, or it's going to be exactly like that. Or <laughs> is that the way you've always <laughs> been, gonna, or is that something yeah, you've kind of uh, learned? I think I've always been that way okay. since we started, yeah. Blues rock musician Mateo Nanji of Indigenous right here with you on the Mulberry Lane Show. You were born and raised on the Yankton Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. So can you talk yep. about how your upbringing was different from other people's and how that has made you, you know, different. even how you approach the music and how you business. approach the music business from your upbringing. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a lot coming from the reservation. There's nothing really about music here. I never really like actually thought about it when I was winning and playing music and all that. Till we actually got the opportunity to get into a studio, you know. Of course, coming from here, there's not much here on the reservation. You know, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at right now. But okay. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm at home. But uh, really, like. All the music that comes through here, a lot of it's like country music, and then it goes to like rap music or different okay. things, you know. <laughs> Do you feel like you had to be quite the entrepreneur with getting, you know, to that spot of doing a different kind of music than what you hear there and then getting it out to the public? Yeah. I don't know if I really thought of like, well, hey, I'm going to get this out there. Like, basically just did it, you know, uh-huh. just because I love to do it. Again, you weren't music. thinking, <laughs> you just went organically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you probably went, went with the passion. Yeah, it basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, still now, that's I think that's what it is. You know, uh-huh. I never try to make a hit record. Or I'm going to try to make a hit song. or You know, it's really just been about the way I felt or the way I feel, you know, and just kind of go with it. Fortunately, I think we were able to hit a lot of music fans, you know. Touch a lot think, of lives. Yeah, and that's kind of what pushed it to that next level. We just kept going. Talk a, a little bit to the pressure of the music business versus where you grew up are those two worlds Mm. hard to come to terms with or i mean i would imagine that you grew up in kind of a relaxed maybe free-flowing not a lot of stress yeah yeah i love living here because there's not much you know it's real laid back and right i guess that's what my attitude is you know (laughs) right it fits right i think that's just it too i think a lot of the people are laid back like that when you get out there it's like a big stress thing you know so. yeah. right which is why you like yeah. to go back home yeah yeah i like to come home and, so one of the yeah. purposes of our show is to make sure people you know stay in touch with their creative side and continue pursuing their dreams whatever they yeah. are now you've yeah. found yourself going through lots of changes in your career but you've managed yeah. to continue creating and to come up with new material that people really respond to so yeah. what advice would yeah. you have, you know, about keeping creativity going through life changes? I always just try to stay true to myself, I guess, and where I come from. 
you know, and just kind of let that flow into what I do, you know, musically or whatever it is, you know, making records and, you know, making records is a whole different thing than going out and touring on the road. It's true. like two different worlds, you know. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've, I think just staying true to who you are and where you come from, you know, what you want to do, is, I think is a, is a really big influence, I think, you know. Yeah, well, you're uh, living proof of for, that. It is for me, yeah. Yeah. It is for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think if a lot of people kind of cooled down and thought about it, I think it could help them a lot. Yeah. You know, in that same way. So, you know, bring that into what, what you they're do, doing. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so bring the past and where you came from yeah. into what you currently do. Yeah. You toured at one point with B.B. King. You've had a lot of producers who were very successful and high up. And mm -hmm. I know you've played a bunch of incredible live shows. So do you have, so far, a career highlight that you can share <laughs> with our audience? I probably have two because I've been doing, they call it the Experience Hendrix Tour. Okay. I've been doing it since, like, probably 2001, 2002. Being able to play with, like, all kinds of, you know, great guitar players, singers, and everybody guitar players from like Joe Satriani to like you wow. know Johnny Lang, Buddy Guy, wow. and, uh, Taj Mahal, you know just and being able to you know be on stage with them guys every night is a real highlight wow. for me you know to be able to do that you know we're going to be doing it again I think in October what a show. and then and then of course doing the BB King tour early on when our first record Things We Do came out that was really probably one of the biggest highlights too so and then was there anything you uh, took away from B.B. King, you learned from him that that uh, you still use yeah, today? Yeah, when, when we met him, he always said, just stay high on the music, not on anything else. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what he told us. <laughs> you know, that's awesome advice. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, I never really did any of that anyways, but, you know, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was good to hear it. Yeah, uh, to hear that know. from such a big icon, too. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. yeah, he was really cool. I mean, we got to... I think we did about 60 shows with him, you know, wow. all over the country, and that's what kind of, you know, got the band's name out there and stuff, mm -hmm. and new CD came out, things we do and stuff, so, yeah. yeah. All right, awesome. well, Matone, thank you so much for spending time with us, love getting to know you better, and... Uh, well, thank you, I appreciate it, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah look forward to the show on Saturday. Matone Nanji of Indigenous here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Well, from Midwest Blues, you're heading west next with mystery novelist C.J. Box. If you've got a hankering for a thriller, this number one New York Times bestselling author has got you covered right here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Woke up this morning Everything is wrong Rachel here. Just want to give you a personal invitation to get in on more sister fun music and highlights from the radio show. You can head on over to our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, The Mulberry Lane Show. We love having you here and we'd love to meet you over there for more positivity, creativity, and true connection. We've got you covered. Back to The Mulberry Lane Show. It's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie. Well, New York Times bestselling author and Edgar Award winner C.J. Box joins your weekend to tell you about his latest suspense novel, The Bitter Roots. Now you're going to hear what drives this author and how he keeps the hits coming. 
Welcome, welcome to the show, CJ Box. Well, thank you very much. I've never been sung on to a show before. Well, I'm glad we could be the first. <laughs> now, this book is the fourth in the Cassie Duel series. So first talk about Cassie and then what she's in for in this book. Sure. Cassie Duel is a single mom who was introduced in uh, 2013 in the book The Highway, where she was working for the Sheriff's Department in Montana. The character was so much fun to write and so well-received that even though I wasn't planning on writing another series, besides the Joe Pickett series, this is now, like you say, the fourth book where she's appeared. And she worked for the Sheriff's Department previously, and in this book, The Bitterroot, she opens up her own private investigative firm in Bozeman, Montana. Her first big job is to work for a local defense attorney whose client is the oldest son of a dynastic ranch family in the Bitterroot Valley in Montana, and he's accused of assaulting his 15-year-old niece. Oh, wow. And Cassie takes the job, wants the guy to be guilty, but just wants to confirm that the law enforcement up there did their job. But when she goes there, she gets a lot of pushback from the local sheriff and the family, and soon she's in the middle of the most dysfunctional ranch family one can imagine. (laughs) And you got to create all of this. Right. So now you have 19 books in the Joe Pickett series. Correct. After that, you created this female character. Like you said, you know, you thought it was just going to be a one-off. What went into building this female character that made her so compelling and people wanted more? Well, I think it's simply because she's a very real person. Okay. Yeah, she's not a superhero. She didn't go beating up people. She's a little bit overweight. Like I said, she's a single mom. Her husband was killed in Afghanistan, so she's been raising this son on her own. She's very determined. She wants justice. Um, She's relentless, but she also makes mistakes. And I think she just comes across to most readers as somebody they know or somebody like them. And I'm guided along with all of this because my first readers are my wife and my three daughters and my female agent and my female editor who all really like the character and keep Uh me on track. So then is she based on anybody in particular? Not really based on a person, just based on different people I've known and met and admired. Do you think it's because, you know, of your wife and three daughters that you were able to authentically have a female voice? I do think it is, Uh because especially my daughters, who are very strident, they object if I objectify or dismiss a female character in any of the books. Okay. So I always kind of have their voices in my head, Uh and I'm surrounded by lots of strong women who Uh uh, aren't scared to tell me what they think. That's so awesome. Now, our dad, four daughters, four daughters in our family. So what was it like for you raising three daughters? Um, two of them are twins, so a little different dynamic, but I I remember one of the things I've said in the Joe Pickett series, I remember thinking to myself that every night I'd return from work into the house of feelings, (laughs) and it's kind of like that. Uh Yes, I'm sure my dad would agree. (laughs) So then, suspense is your forte. What are the elements that you have found that, you know, really build the suspense, draw the reader in, and just keep them hooked? Well, I don't ever start with the plot. I start with the location or the theme, because I write about the West and the Mountain West. It's usually something that has to do with 
things that people are talking about, whether it's um, environmentalism or energy production or, in this case, the curse of the third generation on a ranch where the grandchildren all go after each other. Mm -hmm. So I start with that. Then I figure out a way to how can I pull the reader through this big theme or controversy in a page-turning way. And then I build an outline for it and then start to write it. And, you know, after 24, 25 books, I think I've kind of got figured out how to do the craft part and what should have happened when. And I always feel like when I'm writing, if I'm becoming bored, the reader will be bored. So I try to move it along. Okay. So now... Any time throughout your writing career, have you ever come upon a dry spell where just nothing's coming, nothing's working, and how did you overcome that? I have not. Okay. I've never had that problem. My biggest problem sometimes is time. Sometimes I feel like I've got too much on the agenda and I don't have enough time to flesh out the book, but I never have a problem with keeping the story going. So why do and you think I, that I, is? I, I think it's because it's my profession. It's my job. I mean, a farmer can't just say, I don't feel like farming today and just spend the day in bed. You've you've got to do what you do. Uh Do you have set times where you write every day? Are you pretty disciplined? I'm pretty disciplined. I I treat it like a job. I go to work every morning Uh and edit what I wrote the day before. And then I always try to have a minimum of a thousand words, which really isn't all that long. And sometimes it's double or triple that. And I don't worry about the time so much as the word count. So now on the show, we always like to leave our listeners with some advice about how to keep their creative dreams alive or how to go after their big dreams. So how would you speak to that? Um... When it comes to writing and writing novels, when people ask me what they should do, how they should get into it, I always say they should read more widely. Um, They'll learn more. If they deconstruct the books that they really like and admire, they'll see how the author did it and the structure and so on. Creativity, I think, is kind of like 5% of every novel. The rest is craft. And I think if writers are waiting to be inspired, they'll never get a book done. They'll just have to do it. Describe craft, how you would define craft. Well, you know, what should happen by the first 20 pages of the book? Um, How do you hook a reader? You you know, I, I am constantly going back to the first sentence, first paragraph, first page of the book to make it so that someone can immediately just step right into it and not be lost and not have to feel like they're doing homework to get to the point. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, you know, making it compelling by, you know, not being self-indulgent with a lot of descriptive stuff that people skip okay. and just move it along. Move it along. I love that. CJ, we want to thank you so much for joining the show. It's been a joy hearing about your craft. Well, thank you very much. Okay, take care. CJ Box, you guys, what a man, what an author. Be sure to check out his new thriller, The Bitter Roots. All right, guys, well, it's time right now for show notes. It's our favorite part of the show. We handpick the best pieces of advice from each guest on this episode. So here we go. All right, first up today, you heard from blues and rock great Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Now, he told you that creativity is like a muscle and you've got to exercise it. If you step away, it's hard to get back into it. But if you're on a creative plane, it's easier to keep it up. He also says it's a good move to collaborate with talented people who will keep you on your toes and keep you moving forward. So open your eyes up to new collaborations and new horizons that will push you in the direction you want to go. Uh huh. Okay, Rachel, who's next? 
Well, then you heard from Mato Nunji of Indigenous. Now, he says it's so important to stay true to yourself and where you come from, and you've got to let that flow into what you do. He thinks if people cool down and really think about it, this would be a good approach, and he's talking to you. Yeah, so pull something from your past, something that you used to be really passionate about, and see if you can somehow incorporate that into your life right now. You might be surprised what happens. So good. Okay, sisters, what's next? All right, then you guys heard from best-selling author CJ Box. He says, when it comes to writing, it's so important to read more widely. Now, he says, if you have some books that you really love, deconstruct them. See how the author did it with the structure. He says, you can learn so much. And then he goes on to say that, in his opinion, when you write a book, creativity just counts for 5% of it. He says, the rest is craft. And what he means by craft is the hook how to get a reader into it, how to make the story compelling, how to not be self-indulgent. So all of those things that go into your craft that help you improve yourself, make sure you have those in place and then your creativity can flow through that structure. I think what CJ is really trying to say is take the inspiration, then work really hard. I agree. (laughs) That's what it takes. (laughs) But if you're passionate about it, it won't feel like work. All right, well, we'll leave it there for this week. Make sure you join us same time, same place next weekend. We'll be here with more artists, more inspiration, and more good times. You got it, Rachel and Bo. And to you guys listening, here's a radio high five to you. All right, Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, do me a favor and don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. Baby, take a breath. Yeah.